Alleluia, Alleluia. Christ is risen indeed. Please be seated. I'm going to tell you two things you already know. One, that today is one of the highest of holy days for us. And the reason is because you are here. You make this holy ground today. Thank you. The other is that Easter, which we just proclaimed again in word and song, is behind us now by a week, the way we measure time, behind us. But that's where Easter does its best work. Easter is one of the slipperiest pieces of our religious life. The actual word Easter never appears in the pages of the Bible. Did you know that? And nobody quite knows even where the word comes from. It might be derived from the name of a pre-Christian North European spring deity, which if that's the case makes things a little more interesting. And the date of Easter dances all over the calendar, balancing between the spring equinox and the full moon. It floats on tides of time and light. In Orthodox churches, they're wishing each other Happy Easter this morning. And St. Augustine tells us that in the year 387, Easter came on three different dates around the Mediterranean basin. In a way, though, the slipperiness of Easter makes sense. And having it spill out of several chronological containers seems appropriate, because if you read the Gospels looking for Easter, you'll find that it happened for different people at widely different times. It met the broken-hearted women, as we heard, at the tomb in the half-light somewhere between the end of one day and the beginning of the next. According to the Gospel of John, though, Easter snuck up on Mary Magdalene all by herself somewhat later in the garden as she stood weeping. And she didn't recognize it for what it was until she heard a familiar voice speak her name. It came then belatedly for some of the men in Jesus' inner circle, and only after they came down from their upper room and went to see for themselves. It happened for a few others at an inn in the village of Newton, uh, Emmaus, <laughs> well outside the city by the last light of day. And then it came a whole week or so later for Thomas when he finally had his doubts expunged. And then much later, for Paul the Apostle on his way to Damascus. Easter takes its own time. Easter makes time its own. But it does some of its best work when it comes from behind us. It started out being very disorienting. The women set out as soon as the Sabbath was passed to perform the somber work that needed to be done inside the burial cave. The text actually says that they made their way through something like deep 
dawn in the little crack of time between Saturday and Sunday. No doubt their minds were full of the hard and very real things that they knew they would see and touch and smell that morning. But what they found instead unhinged every expectation. The heavy stone that had sealed the tomb already rolled aside. The broken body not in the place on the floor where they'd left it. And then, says the Gospel of Luke, two dazzling strangers out of nowhere speaking words that pointed in an unexpected direction. This is not where to look for him anymore said the voice. Remember how he said to you while he was still in Galilee that this is just how it would be. Remember, remember what he told you about the way his message would be received, the danger, the certainty of arrest, even execution probably, the sense of impending catastrophe. And remember how he said that it would not end there, not end at all actually, but burst out in a way that even all the powers would not be able to bury. Then they remembered Luke says. Did you hear that when Ruben read it? Then they remembered, and that's when Easter comes. It comes from behind us, over our shoulders. When we remember things we've heard, what we knew but had forgotten, and finally recognized it for the truth that it was, though we could have hardly grasped it at the time. Then they remembered what he'd said, what he'd promised, what he'd done, and that's when they began to see how the pieces of the present would fit together, began being able to start imagining what a future might look like. That's when they knew they were at the beginning, not the end. What they saw at the tomb made no sense until they stirred it with remembrance. Until you remember, and as long as you're only looking straight ahead of you at the signs of death that are everywhere, well, it all sounds like an idle tale, as Luke tells it, which is exactly the way it did sound to the men to whom the women brought their astonished testimony. Now let's take a closer look at those men for a second. They'd fled from the place of execution, and it's hard to blame them for that considering how dangerous it is once the powers start condemning people to die just because the crowd encourages them to go ahead. The text doesn't tell us this, but maybe we can assume that those men were heartbroken. And maybe we can look at them generously, bereft as they were of a future in a now collapsed movement for which they'd left everything familiar. Who could blame them for feeling pinned in a horrible present by a huge, impossible question? What do we do now? And that's when the women arrive breathless with their counterintuitive message. Remember, that's what we do now. Remember what he said. Remember how he told us that it would be bad, how it would seem over, but that it would not be over. How do you get your eyes to focus on the living when all you think you can see is the dead? You can't recognize it until you remember. 
Remember what he said back in the beginning, the very beginning. Do you remember? The first public words that anyone ever heard him say that we remember still, blessed are the poor, the poor in spirit. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed and beloved of God are you. His first words at the beginning. Blessed are you, the ones who grieve. The ones who show mercy even when you have every reason to feel only bitterness. Blessed are you who have been hungry for food or for right relationship. Beloved of God are those among you who have given your heart and soul to the making of peace. You shall be alive with God, and God shall be alive with you. You shall obtain the same mercy that you have wielded in the world, and you shall be known as God's own children, because that's how it works. Remember how his first words back at the very beginning were blessing. Oh, there are hard things to remember, too, aren't there, when you start remembering? Hard things, explosive things. And sometimes they seem so deeply etched that it's hard to think of ever forgetting them, hard not to weep again and again at what happened. And you don't want to forget, you can't forget. Costly memories that remind us that it'll never be as simple as just ignoring the powers that are trying even now to pull us apart. But remember those first things, said the two luminous strangers. Remember what he said to you, and remember what it felt like when he looked at you with that favor in his eyes. Those blessings are cumulative. That's how it works. And remembered blessing, cumulative blessing, is how Jesus is living these days. His life isn't sealed somewhere underground. It's walking around looking like justice, talking like love, smelling like hope feeling like welcome and tasting like like bread and wine now i venture to say that you know a lot about remembering so much of the sacredness of what so many of you are going to undertake tomorrow lies not just in the miles that are in front of you now, but in what'll come from behind you later, not only in the doing, though surely in that, but also in the remembering, when you discover that the blessings that you brought with you are still engraved in you, that the blessing of the favor in all of those eyes watching you as you go by, that blessing is cumulative, that's how it works, like the sound of all that encouragement and affirmation in your ears. I certainly don't need to remind you to remember the effect of all those blessings or remind you to include them in the stories that you'll tell about it all in years to come, about a certain day in April in 
Boston in 2023, because how could you ever forget? So it's at precisely the moment in the story when the women come running in with their news that Luke, the narrator, does a remarkable thing. Just as the women are speaking to the death-pinned men, Luke pauses and gives names to the ones doing the remembering. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles, says Luke. It was from their memory that we salvaged the hindsight that we all needed to understand what had happened. It was from their remembering that we learned to wield the power of cumulative blessing. It was from the testimony of very particular people, the kinds of people whom history has a terrible tendency to forget. And let's not miss here the thundering echo of how this little bit of history repeats itself every time men choose not to credit the report of what women have seen and know to be true. It was the testimony of the women that salvaged the meaning of that morning. We saw it, they said. We went to the place of death and he is not there. Now we're remembering, remembering it all, and we're telling you this is not over. This is beginning. It only makes sense when you remember. And remembering is always done by particular people. The oxygen it breathes is the stories of witness, people who always have names, even if we've forgotten them. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, that other Mary, you know, the one who was the mother of... James, James, particular people who say, I remember and now I see it for what it is. And if you start remembering, you'll see it too. You'll see through all the signs and statistics of death, the monuments everywhere, see right through to the life that you remember, the life that continues. And while you're remembering, Remember one other thing, too. Remember, even when it looks like there's only death everywhere you look, remember that the truest truth of Jesus' unburyable life will only get slippery the way it loves to do and start moving around in time the way we so need it to if there are people telling the story Easter rides on the testimony of the ones who remember, just the way marathons do. The ones who are brave enough and full enough of love and light to tell what they remember, what they saw and felt, how they put it all together. Oh, yes, we'll have our sad, tender errands to attend to in this hard time, always. But into the midst of them, Easter has come riding again from behind us on the tide of light and time, riding on the testimony of Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, who remembered and then saw that his love wasn't gone just because they had ruined his body, 
saw that he wasn't finished breathing just because his mortal lungs had finished their usefulness. Without their testimony, well, where would we be? And there will come a time, there will, when someone is going to need you to remember the blessing that you heard, that you felt, that you remember back near the beginning, the things Jesus said and that the other people said that are now all part of the story. You know, blessed are you, beloved are you, poor in spirit, meek, blessed, blessed are the feet of the messengers who announce peace. And then on that day, when you remember, and when you tell the story, Easter will ride in again on an incoming tide of light and time in the testimony of Phil and Barry and Mark and Shelley and Randy and Jimmy and Karen and James. I wish I knew where you all were sitting now. And Howard. And for that matter, Mitchell and George and Paula, and Ruben, and Grace, and Aria, and Elliot, and Vard, and William, and Christine, and Quinn, and Anna, and Brad, because without you, without what you remember, without the story that you tell, blessed are you, beloved are you. Without you, without that, well, where would we be? Thanks be to God. Amen.